the audible of the best in Bitcoin. This is the Crypto Economy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy with Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. That's me. And we are diving into a fun one, a new author on the show here. Uh, it's um, Matt Vanali. I believe that is a first and last name, but the, the uh, tag that he goes by is Vanali, V-A-N-A-L-L-I. And this was just a really interesting read. A uh, hat tip to Nunya Business. Uh, who actually uh, tipped me off to this article. I probably wouldn't have found it otherwise. Um, but it's a really good um, assessment, I guess, of the crypto space from someone who was full-time crypto. Um, so it's really interesting to see someone's perspective who was in it for a very long time and has essentially pulled away. And this one is titled, I worked full-time in crypto for two years and didn't really like what I saw. Um, and I think it reflects a lot of what you know, we suspect and kind of see while being external to the entire mess. Um, but uh, I thought this would be a really good fun read just to you know, dig into what's out there in the crypto and blockchain space from someone who's on the inside. So uh, real quick, thank you to Swan Bitcoin, the best place to DCA. We are it is so close. Um, I am finally, actually the beta is accessible, so I've already gotten to tinker with it, and I'm so excited uh, that we are just a couple of days away from y'all having access. So do not forget about swanbitcoin.com, and a huge thanks to those guys for supporting the crypto economy. All right, so let's dive into this article, again by Vanali, titled, I worked full-time in crypto for two years and didn't really like what I saw. When I started working full-time in crypto, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It felt like I was part of the ultimate disruption of the financial world. Long Bitcoin, short the bankers, buy the t-shirt. But after being in the space for a couple of years, I just wanted to get out. And get out, I did. The crypto sector is a mess and in need of a reality check. What gives me the right to call out an entire space? Not much, truth be told. I worked for a crypto company, Liquid, and formed my own opinions, though this blog is less about the company I was employed by and more about crypto as a whole. Either way, I invite you to read what I have to say, and then let's have a conversation about the points raised. Quick Disclaimer Liquid is a company that buys and sells crypto. It is not uh, the Liquid sidechain project. They are not related to each other. Almost all crypto projects are complete bullshit and will fail. I didn't believe it when I first heard people saying that most crypto projects will fail. Boy, was I wrong. I've lost count of the number of projects I've seen fail. Some went out with a whimper, simply dying quietly while the team hoped nobody would notice. BlockX, a project I followed closely for a while, was a digital asset exchange focused on ICOs. A token, Daxed, gave early access to these ICOs, 
while the platform also had regular trading pairs. At one point in 2018, BlockX was a hot commodity. Crypto influencers heavily shilled the project. BlockX raised 24 million US dollars in their own ICO, although in the end they only received about 5.5 million British pounds, around 7 million dollars, after an investor failed to come through. The project barely got off the ground, and last we heard, they'd quietly gone into liquidation. The token, meanwhile, which sold at ICO for one euro apiece, ended up going to zero. Another that caught my attention early was authorship. A seemingly innocent project aimed at supporting authors that ended up raising four million US dollars to create a decentralized digital publishing platform. At some point, the founders, Nolan Warfield and Peter Komen, realized they'd made a horrible mistake and abandoned the project. They basically created an ugly ebook store, selling it to a Chinese investor who similarly ended up giving up on it. The token, of course, went to zero. One final example. I did some marketing work for a project called IP Chain, later rebranded to Vaultitude, operated by an Austrian businessman named Dominic Thor, who is also the CEO of a cosmetics company, Tomorrow Labs. I met Dominic online as he was trying to build a team for his project before an ICO. At that time in 2017, you could have put potatoes on the blockchain and done an ICO and it would have made millions. I was to be paid a healthy sum, in Vaultitude tokens, of course. The project was to build a platform that harnessed blockchain to allow people to protect their intellectual property. It was a decent use case, or so I thought at the time, and Dominic had a lot of connections with IP heavyweights like Denemeyer and even the World Intellectual Property Organization. We did a pre-sale and raised a modest sum, but Dominic subsequently burned through that by flying around the world to attend and speak at various conferences and events. Eventually, it became clear that Dominic had run out of money and that there was little interest in an ICO we couldn't afford to do anyway. I never got paid for the hours of work put in, more fool me. And last I saw, Dominic had pulled a swift exit, deleting the project website and any of the social channels he had access to, along with his own Twitter account and LinkedIn profile. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Crypto is full of curiosities like these. Expectation versus Reality Many projects that seem good, or at least not terrible, in a white paper, and maybe even complete a successful ICO, soon find that their ideas aren't that great after all. While the teams may work hard and try to soldier on through the bear market, they are more often than not flogging a dead horse. Leadcoin, for example, raised $50 million to build a platform where marketers can buy leads. Few people at the time questioned why they needed so much money. Two years down the line, almost all the project's team members have left. Compare the original team with their LinkedIn accounts. See how many Leadcoin staffers there are now on LinkedIn. The one remaining staffer, Chief Marketing Officer Eyal Rosen, runs the Telegram group, providing inconsequential updates every three months to perpetuate the illusion that the project is alive. Quote, Eyal Rosen, Our Q4 product release is live ahead of schedule. Happy New Year. Alex P., 
Woohoo! Happy New Year's! The token lost 99% of its value after being delisted from every exchange except Bancor, which has a number of dead projects listed, including authorship. A lot of projects end up failing more spectacularly than Leadcoin, either through being outright scams or just suffering at the hands of gross incompetence or general misfortune, or a combination of the above. The truly impressive blow-ups are always the most fun to watch, in a car crash sort of way. And boy, have there been a lot of car crashes. When BitConnect turned out to be a massive Ponzi scheme, there was a monumental fallout that saw people lose millions of dollars while a new generation of memes was born. ShopIn was another one. After raising more than $40 million, the founder, Iren Eyal, was last year arrested on charges of fraud before being hit with new fraud charges by the SEC in December, putting the final nail in the coffin of a calamitous project that ended up screwing everyone over. So most projects fail. This isn't unique to crypto. It's true of startups in general. But I'd be willing to bet that crypto has a higher proportion of failures than the average for startups. Most crypto projects are just straight-up garbage. Welcome to Startup Hell Projects end up failing for a variety of reasons, but the only that really stands out is that most crypto projects shouldn't exist in the first place. They're pointless. If they're not outright scams, they're normally cash grabs. We've seen pretty much every niche and possible use case from tokens for cosplayers and stands to collectible cats, endless dice games under various guises, dog shit blockchain games, and much more. Every sector has had a crack at going on the blockchain. HR, marketing, food production, content sharing, gambling, blogging, ratings, journalism, publishing, lending, social media, pet care, shopping, commerce. Almost always, it's a last-ditched attempt to fleece retail punters out of millions of dollars, selling a utility token that will never be used for the utility outlined in the abundance of white papers that have been written. These utility tokens are also extremely volatile assets. Most will lose the majority of their value. There are now thousands of projects with thousands of different tokens, with surprisingly few focused on building products people will actually use. We don't need all these projects. Use cases we've seen are tenuous at best. Once the funds have been raised, teams either cash out, profit, or end up mismanaging the money until they bleed themselves dry. I would challenge you to find more than maybe half a dozen actual useful use cases for blockchain in the top 1,000 cryptocurrencies. It's a con almost every time. ICOs were and still are a scam, and yet they still happen to this day. We have so many different blockchain platforms now, so many ecosystems, so many tokens providing the fuel for those ecosystems, when in reality the platforms could have worked just fine without a new token. It's all about the money. ICOs are cash grabs, and the user experience ultimately suffers. 
How many video and content platforms do we need with a token that grants people access to special content? How many crypto platforms do we need at all, really? Look at Block TV, a reasonably successful crypto online TV channel. They seemed to be doing just fine before they announced they were raising $2 million in an ICO that wasn't an ICO, despite the founder's previous ICO efforts, Stocks and Siren Labs losing 99% of their value. It's often overlooked that such tokens and applications of blockchain usually degrade the user experience. Projects expect users to jump through numerous hoops just to get access to and use their platform. Here's roughly what a new user is expected to do. Research how to buy Bitcoin. Find an app to acquire Bitcoin. Move the newly bought Bitcoin to a crypto exchange. Exchange Bitcoin for a utility token. Sign up on the utility token platform. Move the utility token to the platform or learn how to use MetaMask or some other service. Learn how to use the platform itself. For a newcomer, this is a lot of legwork. Sometimes when they realize this, project teams will go so far as to allow users to actually bypass even needing the token to pay for features and services in the first place. It's nonsensical. Do these projects earnestly expect their users to go through some roundabout process to acquire tokens? The process is never straightforward and then learn how to use them on the platform. No, they don't. They know it's futile. They just want to raise money and continue to work under the illusion that they're doing something worthwhile. A few of these project teams may have the best intentions. I won't deny that. They may truly believe that they've found a unique application of blockchain that is going to improve their sector, but the reality is that they don't have the capacity to actually deliver something that is going to make an impact, and as a result, they end up creating solutions for problems that don't exist, making more problems than they had to begin with, especially for the users. If we're looking at cryptocurrency as a form of digital cash, then sure, that's a use case we can all get behind. But do we really need hundreds of different forms of digital cash? Do we expect vendors to accept all of these tokens? It's just creating more clutter. Crypto communities are cesspits. Most crypto projects are pointless, despite the billions of dollars raised in ICOs. But we should also discuss the backbone of any crypto project, the community. The relationship between crypto project and community is entirely contrived. For a start, people tend to base their crypto beliefs on tokens they are invested in, rather than the other way around. They become zealots. Maybe on the surface this doesn't sound so bad, but investment is driven almost entirely by outrageous expectations of profit. People put money into tokens they believe will increase in value exponentially, hoping for a repeat of what we saw with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron, Verge, and many others in the past. Given how manipulated and immature crypto markets are, you come to understand that price action is irrational. There was a time when something as mundane as a rebrand could cause the price of a project's token to skyrocket. So, people invest hoping to make big money. Then, more often than not, their investment decreases in value and they continue holding the token. It's at that point they usually join the community, 
the bottom of the food chain. Near the top are the shills, influencers, early investors, and VCs, who have vested interests in creating hype and price action. These ringleaders work hard to mislead retail investors into believing that their token of choice is a great investment. At the very top, there are founders and team members who are happy to ride the waves and create money out of thin air. It's toxic. All of it. Project teams and their mouthpieces do their best to convince others that they should invest in their token. I use the term invest here lightly because when you buy a token, you're not buying equity in the company. You're not really buying anything. All you're getting in return for your funds is a token with a contrived use case that you'll never even use it for. All kinds of tactics are used to build a community around a project, usually without even a product. Some may join a community because they're interested in the kind of project, but most others will be drawn to the lights by influencers, YouTubers, PR, press, crappy YouTube videos, and other shiny objects. Teams spend as much money as they have on getting users into their Telegram groups, enticing them with shitty bounties, meme contests, and quizzes. For a while, it seems like everyone is in it together. People are excited, looking forward to the token sale, and then looking forward to that first listing on a crypto exchange. They think they're all going to make money and be rich. But at some point, the relationship between project and community falls apart. It can happen before the ICO. It can happen a month after, a year, sometimes two years, but inevitably, with any crypto project and community, it will go to shit. Why? Because there's no real link between the community and the project. It's all built on bullshit. Further compounding these issues is the rampant sexism, racism, misogyny, and intolerance on display in crypto chat rooms and online spaces. It's worth noting that the vast majority of people in crypto are, often anonymous, men. Women have been targeted with online abuse and harassed. There are relatively few female leaders in the space. Most crypto conferences field all-male panels, like the special example below that literally couldn't have squeezed more men on a stage if they tried. There are some amazing women in crypto, but they have had to put up with more bullshit and nonsense than any reasonable human being should have to endure. The community always comes last. Most crypto projects have already offered their tokens to private investors at heavily discounted rates before any kind of public sale. That's where the real money is made. Then along comes the community, and they get to buy at a higher price and immediately put at a disadvantage. But beyond that, the project team only needs the community to raise funds. Once the money is handed over, that's when the real nonsense begins, and project teams have to keep up appearances by providing just enough updates and AMAs and morsels of meat to feed the hungry mouths. The goal is to keep spirits high enough so that there isn't a public outcry about how the team has stopped providing updates on development of the roadmap seen in the white paper. It's the same every damn time. Gradually, the community will start to become unsettled, unhappy with progress, and this will mutate into anger with frequent outbursts in Telegram or on Reddit, 
Then comes a level of acceptance as most people either cut their losses or decide to hold onto their tokens until they go to zero. The only thing the community is really interested in is the price of the token. They couldn't give a shit about the tech. They simply want to sell their tokens at a profit. But the team has no obligation to the community to deliver on any kind of roadmap or keep the project active. Although there have been a small number of class action lawsuits and charges filed by the SEC. Project teams will sometimes do their best to get listed on big exchanges for hefty listing fees, to build hype, to work with market makers, to try and ensure that the token gets pumped at some point so early buyers can exit. But with the nature of how volatile crypto is, there will always be those who don't sell, those who buy the top, those who hold when they should have sold. Community members cling onto the hope that one day they'll be able to sell their tokens and make a huge profit, make a small profit, break even, or just not suffer a massive loss. People become emotionally attached to their communities and it creates a cycle of despair that can go on for years. Some community members will eventually realize the fallacy of this attachment and begin to understand that crypto is a place to make money as a trader and that to do so, you really need to become project agnostic. Then, it doesn't matter what token you buy, so long as there is a short-term upside. For no other reason than you thought it would eventually go up in value. We had so many overhyped projects in 2017 and 2018 that created these nonsense communities. I joined literally hundreds of Telegram groups over the past two years, mostly for work, sometimes as a potential investor myself. Now when I go back to take a look at how they're doing, I see that the optimism has evaporated and there are now countless posts asking for updates from the team who are usually trying to figure out how to break the news that they've completely run out of money. The curse of running a company with no revenue streams. Electrify Asia, Apex, Octus, Zap, Soma, OCN, CNN, Gems, Internext, Hero. There were hundreds of projects that were hyped to the moon over the past couple of years. People poured millions into them while the tokens all went to zero or thereabouts. Almost all of these crypto projects should never have existed and certainly shouldn't have raised funds with an ICO. Join our cult. Crypto communities are irrational and cult-like, especially the larger ones. They are territorial, willing to defend their tokens against any criticism or scandal that comes their way. They look out from rose-tinted glasses, ignoring red flags and repeating the nonsense of their cult leaders. Few people stop to wonder if it's really worth having all of these different, seemingly competing communities. Isn't there some kind of greater good? Not only do investors become aggressively, emotionally attached to their tokens, but they elevate founders, CEOs, CXOs, and leaders within the space to near godlike status. Justin Sun, founder of Tron, CZ, founder of major crypto exchange Binance, Charlie Lee, creator of Litecoin et al., are celebrities now. The crypto rich and famous have been able to build a brand around being the good guys, in it for the community, contributing to a better tomorrow when the reality is that most of them are all selling snake oil, or worse. 
The wider crypto community is, however, incredibly forgiving. There's no scandal too big to be overlooked in the name of profit. The Art of Wasting Everybody's Time Crypto content creators tend to fall into three categories. Those who actually know what they're talking about and add value. Those who got crypto rich and decided to make a career out of wasting everybody's time. And those who wished they got crypto rich and decided to make a career out of wasting everybody's time. I have no problem with people in the first group. There are some genuinely knowledgeable, intelligent content creators doing good work, but they are vastly outnumbered by those who make a living wasting everybody's time. Crypto Influencer Bingo Bikini, topless photo or video Launches paid newsletter Shills shitcoin or promotes a scam Apologizing for shilling a shitcoin Uses phrase, big things on the horizon Starts a crypto merch store. Starts a TikTok. Paid advisor for random shitcoin. Conference in Bali. Hosts a meetup. Records travel vlog. Unveils new clothing or lifestyle brand. Gives away tiny amount of crypto for likes or follows. Launches random startup. Gives up on random startup. Films interview with shitcoin or shit project founder. Launches marketing agency. Interviews CZ or Justin Sun. Starts a podcast. Posts inspirational quote. Speaks on panel. Bonus for pajamas or sunglasses. Unnecessary Twitter beef. Announces taking a break from Twitter. Paid review or sponsored tweet. Rage quits. Crypto influencers are out to make money any way they can. Some will try and shill you a token in which they've invested, or else encourage you to sign up to leverage trading platforms with their referral links. Some try and persuade their followers to buy into the latest ICO. The really crafty ones make snazzy videos and rank ICOs and potential investments, all with disclaimers of not being financial advisors. But what they're really trying to do is get you to buy something. The most influential influencers will have access to pre-sales and private sales, so they're always a step ahead of their audiences. Through the bear market, crypto influencers have had to branch out and find other ways to profit, stroke their egos, and amuse themselves. Some have formed startups that usually seem to be based around providing marketing services. Whatever they're doing, they'll be trying to sell something. You can buy spots on any one of 10,000 crypto podcasts or pay for tweets or coverage on YouTube. Got a spare $38,000? Well, then you can get on one of the major YouTube channels. Only got a couple of grand? Take the preferred choice of soon-to-fail crypto projects by paying one of the lower-tier influencers for a review that ends up being 20 minutes of the influencer just reading the content from your website. The craftiest influencers organize events and try to get sponsorship from bigger companies so they can keep getting their holidays paid for. They prey on unsuspecting crypto startups, ready to flash rate cards for sponsored tweets, shoutouts, and exposure. They'll remind you constantly on Twitter that they are focusing on their passions, which these days usually means looking bored on stage at conferences launching lifestyle brands, or making travel vlogs. They're always on the verge of greatness, 
and doing their part by launching the latest newsletter, education portal, podcast, investment firm, news site, or research outlet. Yet despite the best efforts of influencers, crypto mass adoption isn't going to come from another tutorial teaching people how to manage their own private keys. Mass adoption comes when we have products and services that people can use and that make their lives easier without even knowing about crypto or blockchain. We're nowhere near that stage, and the barriers to entry are way too high. But sure, let's have another YouTube channel or podcast to teach people about the basics of crypto so an influencer can feel like they're contributing to something. Most crypto content creators are just filling the airwaves with noise in the hope of getting paid for it. Immature space, immature people. Crypto is full of adults behaving like spoiled children. So-called leaders within this space simply don't know how to interact with each other without being complete dicks. From CEOs and founders to evangelists and developers, crypto is an unruly mess because people spend so much time arguing, bickering, and calling each other names over the most trivial nonsense. Every little disagreement gets aired for all to see. From Roger Ver's occasional meltdowns, to Craig Wright butting heads with anyone and everyone in sight or being yelled at himself, if there's a snide remark or put down to be made, you can be sure one of the crypto figureheads will be straight in there. But what's worse is that there's an unhealthy appetite for this soap opera-like drama. Crypto conference organizers go out of their way to put on stage the most obnoxious lineup of speakers possible. If there's a blockchain week somewhere in the world, you can be sure that Craig Wright, Roger Ver, Tone Vase, Noriel Rabini, who hates crypto, Brock Pierce, Samson Mao, and other familiar faces will be rolled out to argue with each other in public. The Sorry State of Crypto Media Crypto is one of the most poorly covered sectors I've ever seen. The standard of crypto journalism is so terrible that I wouldn't even call it journalism. The general media's reporting on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is usually bad and focused on extreme negatives or else wild stories about people getting rich. But you can perhaps forgive regular journalists for not having much of a clue as crypto isn't a topic of widespread interest. The real rot, however, lies within. At the bottom of the pile, there are the multitude of crypto sites, which are little more than blogs, full of poorly written articles which, if not auto-generated, may as well be. Then there are the real crypto news sites like Coindesk and Cointelegraph, where at least some real journalism goes on, but the quality overall is still relatively poor. Crypto outlets like The Block, Decrypt, and Breaker Mag, rest in peace, add real value, but even these reputable sites have staffers who have posted inaccuracies, deleted tweets, and bickered like kids with others. Crypto journalism is shoddy. Corrections and edits are frequent. Allegations can run wild. There's healthy debate, sure, but the standards to which we should hold journalists often don't apply in crypto. Reporters can pretty much write or cover anything they want, and nobody bats an eyelid about conflict of interest. Rand Nooner's CNBC show is one of the most popular and widely watched shows about crypto. 
Nooner is able to host it despite being an advisor to and investor in multiple crypto startups and projects. He has a considerable financial interest in cryptocurrency in general, even in crypto exchanges. But that doesn't stop him giving a platform to projects in which he's invested. While crypto journalism may be below par, it's not helped by pressure from rich and powerful figureheads in the space. Billionaire Binance founder CZ and Tron founder Justin Sun both supported an internet troll who spent considerable time harassing journalists and analysts from the block by inciting Twitter mobs after an unfavorable story about Binance was published. The story in question needed a correction to clarify that a police raid didn't take place, but that wasn't enough for the army of trolls who frequently bully and attack anyone with whom they disagree. Crypto Conferences and Events for Days Not a week goes by without some kind of crypto forum, meetup, or event. We are bombarded with endless gatherings that serve little more purpose than to perpetuate the echo chamber. The crypto-rich spend their time traveling around the world to meet up with each other in different cities and take selfies. How much crypto conference content, most of it contributed by influencers, do we need to sit through before people realize they're wasting their time? From poorly recorded interviews with shitcoin founders to countless vlogs showing someone walking through the doors of the latest conference, we are scraping the barrel here even before we've got to the villa pics. New people aren't attending these conferences. Sure, there's networking going on, but let's be under no illusion. It's a vacation. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it shouldn't masquerade as driving financial inclusion. People make careers off of this nonsense, just organizing and or attending events. The problem with Justin's son. Is it fair to single out one person as being the root of all that is wrong with the crypto space? Probably not. But I do feel there's validity in pointing to Justin's son as representing much of the worst that this space has come to stand for. It all started in 2017 with an incomprehensible white paper that was partly plagiarized from other white papers. From then on, Tron became wildly popular because of its low token price and propensity to volatility, with a massive pump from 20 sats up to 2,000 sats that made a lot of people very rich. Justin Sun made a name for himself by announcing new partnerships every other day, almost all of which turned out to be bullshit. Most of the time, he'd just hype up a partnership with some other startup operated by his friends like GiftTube, Game.com, OCN, and various others. Sometimes Justin would partner with bizarre companies like toilet manufacturers or space companies. China's SpaceX, he said. One time he tried to convince everyone he was partnering with a massive multinational company, Baofeng. China's Netflix, he said. But it turned out to be an agreement with Baofeng BFC, a division within the company that meant Baofeng BFC would run full nodes. Spoiler, they didn't, to support Tron's blockchain once it launched. In short, it was nothing special. He once even made out like he had a partnership with Liverpool FC, when all he really had was a letter from Liverpool's marketing department about sponsorship. There is no event or circumstance that Justin Sun won't use to try and draw attention to himself and Tron.
from randomly pledging a million dollars to Greta Thunberg, did he ever follow through with that, to comparing Tron's mission to the civil rights movement. If there's a cause to be hijacked, Justin will be right in there. Tron Foundation tweet, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So, hashtag Tron is committed to returning the rights and values of the internet to everyone. Followed by a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. speaking. It says, Tron decentralizes the web, returns the rights and the values of the internet to whole mankind. On August 26, 1963, Martin Luther King gave a speech entitled, I Have a Dream to Fight for Human Rights for Black Americans. Tron. Justin has been able to get away with the kind of nonsense that doesn't fly in any other sector. Worse than that, he is enabled by shills, journalists, bloggers, crypto exchange CEOs, and others within the space. Justin's son has made everything about himself, splashing his face on every poster, billboard, advertisement, and marketing material he can. The smallest unit of Tron currency is called a Sun. The network Tron runs on is called Sun Network. He's made so much money and has access to such vast resources that he believes he can act without consequence. If he puts a foot wrong, he knows he will be defended by his ravenous community and uber shills, who seem unfazed by the fact that Tron isn't even decentralized, with most of the network controlled by Justin, at least 6 of 27 super representatives, or his friend CZ and Binance, 54.3% of the voting power. Justin's son represents the worst of what crypto has become. Addendum Never far from drama, Justin's son recently executed a hostile takeover of Steemit, lied about, quote, hackers, sparked a series of high-profile departures from Steam, and wrote a bizarre blog to the Steemit community. I had to move on. I learned my lessons in crypto, some the hard way. I have no regrets, but I'm glad I got out. I just hope that the space matures and can one day really make the world a better place. There are some great minds in crypto, and they are tackling some of the big issues of our time. Privacy, access to financial services, financial inclusion, and more. But they're being weighed down by hangers-on. My experience and thoughts are just that. Mine. I'm sure many will disagree with me. But the truth is, I just had a lot I wanted to get off my chest. And that's before even getting into my experiences at Liquid. That in itself could probably provide about a book's worth of material. Someday. Maybe. Rage at me for my bad takes. I'm ready. Alright, so this piece was amazing. Um, it's really funny to see the perspective of someone who was so deep in the crypto space, who clearly, like had the intent, like, thought that they were getting into something. Like, ah, everybody knows that feeling. I think anybody who was here during 2017 knows how unbelievably easy it was to get sucked into a lot of this nonsense. Um, and some of the nonsense was unbelievable. Um, but I just love his no-apologies attitude and that he's just trying to get all this stuff off his chest. So, 
Um, massive applause to Vinali and uh, or Matt. Hopefully, I'm saying that name right. But um, uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor real quick, and then we will jump back in. I really want to talk about this piece a little bit before we have to close it out. So, on that note, you know where you won't find healthcare on the blockchain or blockchains for bananas and uh, dog shit blockchain games, as he put it. Uh, and there's actually a really great little image of like a little race thing between. I'll have to link to the article so you guys can see. He's actually got a lot of great images in here from uh, things that are just kind of backing up his point. And one of them is like a awful little. Uh, like a little racing game was like just these little cartoon cutouts that like move across the screen and you have to like pay or something. Just, just the worst ideas ever. But you know where you won't find any of that crap, uh, but you will find sound digital money. Swan Bitcoin. That is, you know, this article kind of reillustrates the point, but I, I truly wonder the the further we get through this, that there may only be one real valuable use case to justify the enormous cost and redundancy of the Bitcoin distributed consensus system, like the proof of work consensus. And I I truly think that is secure, independent global money. Um, and with the with what's going on in the markets today with what we're seeing in the world of global finance and money, there is genuinely no better time. If you have not started saving a little bit in Bitcoin, I know there are a lot of people who are interested in Bitcoin and genuinely just haven't taken the next step to start actually owning some. And, and I know it's a little intimidating. So the simplest, lowest cost way to accumulate is about the best solution to that problem. Um, and that's why, that's why I'm happily promoting Swan Bitcoin is because, you know, we should, A, Coinbase charges too high of fees anyway. We should not be trying to time the market. Like, this is not about trading. This is about securing a little bit of your capital into sound money, into something with incredibly high assurances, particularly in a world of, you know, the sea, a sea of pointless uh, crypto coins all over the place, and then a ocean of fiat where you're fighting to figure out which fiat is going to print the fewest trillions of its tokens. I mean, reliable monetary assurances are literally gone. When people explain that Bitcoin is a safe haven, that's what Bitcoin is a safe haven for. It is not riskless. It is not, uh, it is not stable in its price. There's, it has liquidity issues. Its price will adjust to the market. But as far as monetary assurances, as far as the long-term sustainability of the system, nothing can match Bitcoin right now. That is its value. and. I think the only way to reliably take this into the long term is to stack responsibly, is to DCA in, is to just regularly put savings away into a hard monetary asset. What happens in the next two weeks should not be the top concern because we're worried about do we have a sustainable system in two years? Because I think the alternatives are increasingly just drying up. Um, and uh, you know, we need some sort of a hedge against the 
crazy burring money printers here. That's why this is a Bitcoin podcast. And this is legit the reason why I'm most excited about Swan Bitcoin too. So like the reason I want to use them um, and I'll be using them as like my key service for buying Bitcoin uh, is simply because like I don't want one that's crowded out with the ocean of crypto crap. Um, like the, the higher, the longer lifespan I think is going to come with the most direct and clear focus. Uh, and this is Swan Bitcoin is built by Bitcoiners that I personally trust. You know, it's not even like, like Coinbase. I don't know those people. I actually know the guys at uh, Swan Bitcoin. That's why I'm, you know, so jacked to be promoting them. But it, they also have this, the simplest use case and clearest process. It is just Bitcoin only and it is focused on one thing stacking responsibly. Just over time, get a reliable savings and even automatic withdrawals so that you just don't have to think about it. It, is, it goes to your keys and you are stacking every week, every month, every paycheck, whatever it is that works best for you. So that's a little bit long on just kind of pushing Swan Bitcoin, but like I think the, the whole principle is just important to talk about today in the podcast. And uh, I legit am excited about their service to actually start utilizing that. And I, and I really do think there is a huge risk in using services. I've always felt really uncomfortable about using services that have a thousand currencies that have, that have even 15. Like it just worries me. Like I don't even download. Somebody just asked me on Twitter what they recommended as like a good Bitcoin wallet. And I'm like, there are actually a lot of decent interfaces on like Exodus and uh, a handful of these other like multi-coin wallets, Coinomi and like other things like this. But they've got like 30 tokens and I just can't help but feel like I am at a far greater risk when I do that. When I use a service that has 30 tokens, when I have a wallet that has 30 tokens, holding my keys or not, I just, it feels, uh, it feels like bad policy in, in, in my opinion. So Anyway, um, yeah, that's my spiel on why Bitcoin only, I think, is really, really important. Now, okay, so Vinali here in our article, I can't tell personally if he sees any differentiation with Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, maybe he doesn't. Uh, there's, like, as far as, like, the community and stuff, like, there are a lot of uh, lessons, I think, that the Bitcoin... Uh, culture, the Bitcoin ecosystem has tried desperately to get across that this article perfectly illustrates. Um, going back to Everyone's a Scammer by Bitstein is that it is so important that like, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things in um, Bitcoin that I feel like I've learned and like over the years that I think has been much an increasingly more important rule to follow um, and to realize is to kill your heroes. And he talks about in this article about like these people becoming essentially gods of their, their crypto. And I totally agree. Any, any like uh, community, <laughs> I hate that word. And, and I love the way he actually kind of attacks that whole concept in this um, because inherently the community is kind of the bottom of the barrel when you think about it, particularly when you comes to these crypto tokens. But 
uh, a still, um, anything that I see where there's like some sort of explicit leader, I am immediately kind of scared of. And that's one of those things that regardless of how you think about the, uh, the maximalists or whatever in Bitcoin and which absolutely 100% will no, not ever defend that they go overboard, that the, that, that there's a lot of quote unquote toxicity and just like no apologies, overreaction in the Bitcoin space. But I find that actually as a preferable alternative to the let's excuse everything our leaders do, like the godlike status that he talks about here with Justin's son and Charlie, the, the celebrities of the system. And I see, I see Bitcoin completely differently, and I'd be a little bit nervous if it was the other way around. But I see Bitcoin destroying its leaders in no time at all when they abandon the core principles. Um, and even if it's just a perception of, the, of abandonment, um, like Trace Mayer. Trace Mayer was one of the OGs of OGs. Like, there is nobody... Like, if you asked me two months ago, I, I, I would have said Trace Mayer is one of the people in actual Bitcoin that, is, that was more highly respected than anyone. And literally, I almost missed it. I was not on the internet that Saturday, like, what is it, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, where Trace Mayer started shilling a shitcoin and saying that uh, it was going to go 100x uh, the Bitcoin price. And in less than 48 hours, before I made it back to the internet to even find out what was going on, Trace Mayer had been eaten alive. Like, Bitcoiners eat their own. They do not have, that is one of, the, one of the rules that I wish I could get into more people's heads and that I think the, the serious Bitcoiners really understand is kill your heroes. Like, we do not want leaders here. We want, and, you know, it's a community. It is people. So it's going to be very hard to do that. It is in our nature to lean on people to hold people up on a pedestal but the idea is that we have a set of principles we have a set of clear you know those four things that define bitcoin and those above all else those above leaders and when you know people abandon that we abandon those people not the principles now that's not an easy thing to keep secure you know that's a very it's a very abstract thing to try to secure but that's why uh, that's why the immutability of the protocol, the inability to change the protocol is, I think, so important because um, it, it's, it's an extension of that. Like, I think the codification of Bitcoin, the um, ossification, that's the word I'm looking for. The ossification of the protocol, it reinforces the network effect of that abstract set of principles that we rely on. So I think they are dependent on each other. So if I kind of wanted to give, um, let's say Vinali does not see any difference here between crypto and Bitcoin, which I put these in truly entirely separate categories. Like I, I don't see, regardless of the similarities in the technology, quote unquote, the underlying code that goes into them, I think there are very fundamental core differences between these two things. Um, but just if, if Vinali is in fact, if, if, you know, if you're listening to this and uh, you see these as equated, I would say that the only reason 
I am still in Bitcoin is because about 99% of what was laid out in this article isn't a problem in Bitcoin. Bitcoin does not have partnerships. Bitcoin does not have a, a pre-mine. There was no ICO. Uh, and as vicious and overly dramatic as the Bitcoin quote-unquote community is, I do not see unquestionable, incontestable leaders here. There's no head to cut off this thing. And realizing that this thing cannot be dependent on social politics, that, that this we're trying to we're trying to obsolete the political layer, the social layer. We're trying to make the core of it, the, the ossified, the actual protocol, hard enough that the social layer doesn't matter or that it's absolutely 100% the last resort. It is not an active participant in this. It is just a means of defense. Again, back to the kill your heroes rule of Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't raise money. Bitcoin is trying to fix money. Parker Lewis talks about this. This is the immaculate conception of Bitcoin, as ridiculous as that may sound to some, uh, but Bitcoin got the benefit of being completely unknown and unpriced for a full year. There was literally no market. It was just people testing to see if the code worked. Did this system actually function? That environment can't be recreated. The, Nick Carter has a really great piece that I probably should read on the show, but it's really long, so I've been reluctant to get into it just because I've had so much other stuff to cover, but we'll probably get back to it. But he talks about the unfair, quote-unquote, um, like token launch or monetary like launch, coin launch, whatever you want to call it, um, and trying to break down how in a post-Bitcoin era you could actually create a token, a money, a digital money, that was how do you actually create fairness? Because a pre-mine isn't going to do it. An ICO doesn't do it. Like it all, all the incentives are misaligned. Everything is just garbage. And there's, it doesn't have that vacuum to actually be created in that Bitcoin had. Um, nobody took it for granted that Bitcoin's price was, Bitcoin was ever going to have a price. Like it was literally an experiment. Now any, any of these get created, there's no way to avoid the fact that like, it's an ICO, that, that people will see it, people will know about it, it will never get that benefit. So, uh, and he actually argues that, um, that you would actually sell miners, um, that you would actually design an ASIC, and, and it's a really good argument for it as well. Um, I won't get into all the specifics, but essentially that um, so that... You, your ASIC is quote unquote essentially your pre-sale, uh, but you're basically um, selling investment in the long term of the system, and it's still not fair. He he still goes into how like it's it's very limited, but it's not making yourself money. It's not creating tokens and then selling them, which is just what all of these. This whole article is really that's that is truly what I think the core of this entire market of the whole crypto ecosystem um that is is wrong with it is the incentives are misaligned because everyone is trying to invent their own money they're trying to create a token that costs them zero dollars to create and sell it for one dollar 
They are trying to create value out of thin air and they are trying and they're putting attaching any excuse possible to what that value would actually be. And I think the monetary assurances are the value of the system and everything else is arbitrary. Uh, and even the, he talks about like, you know, maybe six or seven of these actually having any sort of reasonable market or uh, use case at all. I think even these are um, missing the underlying point because they cannot compete, they cannot avoid competing as a monetary unit, as a token of, of essentially a currency, which I think markets will always converge on one. And if you're trying to create a money around features, and that's kind of what I think, let's just use Ethereum and Bitcoin as comparisons because I think they're the most in front of everything and the most relatable to you know, everybody listening. So Ethereum, I would consider, is the uh, best money by number of features, and Bitcoin is the best money by uh, absolute assurances. Um, and uh, in doing so, I think Ethereum has completely lost the narrative. It has no idea what it, what it is as far as an actual money, but wants all of these features to be on top of it. Whereas uh, a Bitcoin, regardless of any of the features it has, is a sound, secure, uh, ultimate assurance monetary system. You, none of the features are worth anything if you don't know what your money is. Like if I'm, uh, you know, like I can do a whole lot of stuff with an event ticket, but if I don't know if, like, you know, maybe I have like a lot of, uh, I can move it to a later date. Like maybe I have a lot of freedom with my event ticket and it can do a whole bunch of extra functions and it gives me extra benefits. But if I have no idea whether the event is actually going to happen, then the ticket is essentially worthless, no matter how many other little fun tricks or benefits I might get from it. Um, and in that same way, if we don't know what the money is, if there are no monetary assurances, any feature that we can do about locking up that money or lending that money or um, attaching kittens, digital kitties to the money, like, you know, whatever bullshit ridiculous feature we want to attach to it and it could be an infinite number of things if we don't know what the actual money is what is any of that good for you know it, it's selling a second order function without without any first order assurances now it's so it was so easy in 2017 even as somebody who's been in this space for a really long time and kind of knew after like like I felt like deep down I knew um, after Namecoin didn't seem to be actually working in the way and you know I I still open open to the idea that I might be wrong and you know maybe there's maybe there's two or three things that we can actually use an extension of this system for and oddly enough Namecoin is damn near about of some weird version of a side chain of Bitcoin these days because it uses the same mining algorithm and now it's merge mined um, and it almost seems like it's totally unnecessary for it even and it's like Veriblock and like some of these other um, systems are actually stamping it into uh, stamping some of these chains into the Bitcoin blockchain is that like all the other things of like mining themselves and creating their own token within this seems really redundant um and 
And now you have to worry about the value of this token instead of the service. And he kind of talks about this a little bit, a little bit differently, but it's the exact same concept is that everybody is focused on making the token worth something, even though the community, even though everybody doesn't realize that the token is literally nothing. It's not equity in the company. It's not like part ownership in the network. Um, and in fact, the, uh, you know, all you're getting in return is quote unquote, it, it for your token is a contrived use case that you'll never use it for. They don't even need the platforms don't even need the token in order to work. Like these are, these are things that can be done a hundred different ways. And the unbelievable pain of a process to go through, to even get to the service or the platform, the network or whatever it is is so convoluted it's like he has this uh, bullet point list of like first you have to figure out how to buy bitcoin and you have to get them set up with like a bitcoin wallet and then show them you, you know get them with the app and then they have to figure out how to send that bitcoin to a crypto exchange then they exchange the bitcoin for the utility token then sign up on the utility token platform move the utility token to that platform or learn how to use MetaMask or some other service and then learn how to use the platform itself. Like, he's right. Nobody's going to do that. It's hard enough just to get people to onboard to download a Bitcoin app and learn how a Bitcoin transaction works. If, if you don't have some unbelievably powerful use case on the other side of that, um, why... You can't, it's hard enough just to get people into digital money. Like there's already a mountain of a barrier there. And then you're putting two mountains behind it and then putting some super contrived use case on the other side, like, you know, a DNS, um, like Namecoin. And, and Namecoin's actually one of the more, maybe there's actually a use there for it. But, you know, DNS works pretty good. You know, the Pirate Bay... His, they've been trying to shut down the Pirate Bay for, what is it, 15 or 20 years, some odd now. And it's still there. It's still there. But now, you know, bananas on the blockchain. We need some stupid game where everything that we do is a transaction that gets sent to every peer and every node on the network that, you know, we're going to have our healthcare records on the blockchain, which just have to be human input anyway. So all it does is just make our errors harder to correct. It doesn't fix the underlying problem of the fact that mistakes are made. Um, like that is, that is subjective external to the system data. This is something we talk about a lot. Um, uh, Alex Fesky talks about, it. I think Parker Lewis talks about it in one of the pieces in the Gradually Then Suddenly series, but that there's no way to secure data information that is external to the system. The blockchain doesn't do that. It's, it, there's no greater assurances to medical records because you put it on a blockchain versus put it in a regular database because it's all 100% depend, dependent on the person who entered the data. But that's why the one thing that you do have assurances of is the monetary policy because the monetary policy is within the code. It's not external at all. The new Bitcoin are the only thing that can be, be secured by the Bitcoin system. Every, it has no idea of what's going on in the external world. It doesn't know about jurisdictions. It doesn't know about medical records. It doesn't know whether the um, key interacting it has a real person behind it or a computer. It does not, cannot know, and cannot care about any of that stuff. All it can guarantee 
are what are the uh, the token are are the Bitcoin itself created within the rules because the rules can only verify the its own accounting, its own software. Anything external to that, totally arbitrary, totally nonsense. And that's why all these blockchains for all of these other things make no sense. They're just None of those problems are actually fixed. You can't just wave a magic wand and say blockchain and then voila, you know, we don't lose bananas anymore. I don't even know what you would do. Like why? Why put bananas on the blockchain? What is, what's good having immutable banana records? But whatever. People have thrown blockchain at literally everything that, everything that has any semblance of a market or service has been now attached to a blockchain and basically failed. And if not yet, it's probably a couple of weeks, months, at least within a year or two of failing and going the way of all of the other ones. Um, uh, and like I said, it was really, really easy to get sucked in in 2017. Um, the, the promises of we're, all the problems we're going to fix and... Uh, it's spread out our focus. It spread out our resources. I think it was a huge waste, but maybe, maybe it was a part of the maturation of the market that just had to happen. We were coming from such an easy money system that, uh, you know, it's felt like for a long time that if we just throw money at something, then it becomes more valuable, even if it's not valuable fundamentally to begin with. Uh, one could argue that's kind of what the stock market is doing, has done for. 20 odd years um and now we're finally actually paying for but i think he's right in this article that um the this isn't even this isn't even startups you know like this is this is orders of magnitude worse than startups every single one of these like whatever the failure rate of startups is it's 10 to 100 times worse in tokens because there's not any there's nothing behind these things. Um, almost all of these have lost 90 some odd, 98, 99% of their value since actually being ICO'd. So many of these, it's, it's been unbelievable. And the amount of money they raised for completely arbitrary use cases, it didn't make any sense to begin with. Um, like this, this, the whole time, and I got wrapped up into um, a couple of like shit tokens that I thought were the more legit of the crappy tokens in 2017. And, uh, and again, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I literally almost, I don't think probably I had one tweet ever even mentioning that I was even like, I felt like a guilty thing. Like I kind of knew there was something wrong with it, but I wanted to believe that if they were actually building something that I thought was interesting, that maybe it would have value. But it turns out that the ones that don't have like didn't didn't spend a fortune on marketing and uh, didn't focus all on just the hype and building like a nonsense, like not building anything, but actually just hyping up and building the image of it. Turns out those were the ones that performed worst of everything because they were equally redundant and useless but they didn't have the illusion that they were going to change the world. They were just trying to have like one or two real use cases that, uh, you know, didn't support a, a money. Um, and, uh, he talks about in this that, you know, 
digital cash is something that we could all get behind. You know, like that's a that's a real thing. We do need uh, a form of digital money. But do we need hundreds of these? Do we need thousands of digital caches? Like why? Like to you know he he asked he's like do we expect vendors to accept all of these tokens like we're just we're creating complications not solutions we're not simplifying things we're not improving things we're literally making it more confusing worse and just more obnoxious and i imagine like it's really hard for like huge props to him for seeing through all of this because just like he talked about, everybody gets like really emotional, emotionally attached to all of their investments and all of these, uh, you know, crypto tokens and everything. It's really hard to look at it objectively. Um, but he says there's a there's another great quote that I highlighted in this is that it's often overlooked that such tokens and applications of blockchain usually degrade the user experience. Projects expect users to jump through numerous hoops just to get access to and use their platform, end quote. So that's when he goes into the whole like list of user experience crap that I dealt with earlier. But And the VCs and marketers and everything that are trying to shield these tokens, like I think a lot of them begin to realize it very, very quickly, but they don't have any alternative. They have to get out. They have to give themselves an exit. And I can't remember exactly who said it and what article it was, but there was, may have been another one by Parker Lewis, like I can't remember, um, uh, but uh, that the perfect, uh, the perfect um, success, the best case success story for one of these crypto tokens is a big profitable exit for the founders. Like that's it. There is really no end game there like that's really the only successful conclusion to it is that they got out and made a lot of money you know sinking with the ship be damned uh bitcoin is not i'm not looking for an exit to bitcoin like i see bitcoin as a solution to the 100 trillion dollar problem of money that we have around the globe um that the all of the assurances that we have lost, all of the trust that has been abused and corrupted, is needs a replacement. Needs something with higher assurances. Needs something where we don't have to trust because clearly we can't trust political institutions to take care of our money to actually give us monetary assurances. We cannot trust trusted third parties to not abuse the ability to print new tokens to print new money and i think the entire crypto sphere is a, a, a second a second layer demonstration of exactly that rule that here's another great example of the thousand tokens that prove we can't trust someone else to manage it this can't be a political system what we need is a protocol that resists the social layer that works in spite of the contention and disagreement, that works on the uh, lowest common denominator of a monetary agreement. So rather than having an influential 10% able to change the system, we have 
a, a, a minority 10% that can defend the system from change. And I think the, the massive problems in much of the crypto space is basically prove how arbitrary the rules of so many of these are. Um, and Justin Sun and the, the whole Steemit fiasco is another great example of why I think uh, proof of stake is, is the opposite of that. It, it does not have that dynamic of defaulting to the lack of change when there is not consensus, is that it appears too easy to uh, basically take the thing over. Um, I mean, all, all he did, he used other people's coins. This, this is a crazy thing about this. I'm not sure whoever has dug into this, but Justin didn't get the majority. He doesn't have the majority because he can stake with the majority coins. Um, he's actually using exchanges that are holding thousands of other people co people's coins, bought those exchanges, and then had them stake. So he's controlling most of the coins, like 50%. And Matt Odell actually had, like, just a couple of months ago said, this is going to happen. There's going to be some sort of a vote on one of these proof-of-stake coins or whatever it is, or these governance chains, and people are going to, who have put all of their money into custodians, um, are going to have their money voted by the custodian. That wh whoever owns the exchange or whatever is going to be the one that gets the votes of everyone who uses their exchange. And that is spot on what happened here. That was actually a pretty amazing call by Matt Odell. Like, um, like I, I totally agreed with it, but I wouldn't have thought that it happened so clearly. It seems so brazen that it would be hard to defend. But straight up, straight up, that's where we are. That's what we got. And... Um, it could not have been more clearer that uh, that's the consequence of this. And I got to admit, you know, the, I don't know why this started. And, you know, I kind of thought it was funny, you know, and I still kind of do. I still giggle at it that the whole meme of Tron is better than Ethereum and that there's like a bunch of Bitcoiners now that are jokingly, like sarcastically supporting Tron because, uh, Tron is such a joke and from like as an inside joke with Bitcoiners, it's obvious that that's true. So if we promote it as better than Ethereum, it's just doubly saying what a joke Ethereum is. But I have never retweeted any of those for a very specific reason is because again, that dirty feeling comes back. Like some people are going to think that that's serious. Some people aren't going to get the inside joke. And for the re many reasons laid out in this thing, like Justin Suntron, like this thing is a clean, outright scam, in my opinion. Like he is, I cannot believe that that image that he has of the Martin Luther King uh, speech and then Tron decentralizes the web and just the, oh God, the pandering. And the the overdramatic like self righteousness, just it just oh my god, it's so dirty. Um, and joke or not, sarcastic or not, I have a really hard time with that one. The 
anything that try to gives legitimacy to that dude, I'm just like, nah, I can't do it. But this, I just really, really enjoyed this article. Um, uh, regardless, I know of how, um, I, I mean, I think the kind of social space of all of this, you know, thing is really kind of this whole ecosystem um, is really kind of weak. Um, there's so much drama. There's so much infighting. But that's why I think a secure independent protocol is that's actually I think the role it plays is mitigating the fact that that's just kind of the nature of uh, social institutions. But coming from someone who was in this and then could so clearly see like all of the problems and like how how many incentives are misaligned and these these how they've abused the communities to be essentially their their fall guys for uh, how they get out all of their money and hype all this up and I love the my best section my favorite section of this whole thing is the art of how uh the art of wasting everybody's time um and the crypto influencer bingo uh that just kills me so if you want to again there's a lot of pretty funny images and um uh, links to explore a lot of this stuff uh in the article that he talks about so uh be sure to go check out the article, and it's on Medium too, so drop some massive applause on this one, because this is just one of the best examples of why you should be incredibly careful coming into this space. You should know what value you're looking for, and you should assess these things. We should... We can't turn this process upside down. We can't go find the token that we invested in and then try to justify it. We need a clear reason as to what the problem is being solved and which one solves that problem the best. And that's why I am here. That's why I'm trying to explain and share with this show. I think the one problem that this technology does solve in an incredibly profound and revolutionary way is monetary assurances. It creates a digital system with all of the aspects, all of the critical aspects of a secure, sound money. And I have yet to be convinced of a second use case, competing use case for this sort of system. There is a lot we can attach to this. There is a lot that we can do with this. Money is the most used good in society. It's the most liquid good. It's to be exchanged for anything and everything else, and it is to secure the value and pricing of all of those other goods. So there's not a, there's not a higher market cap. There's not a larger problem to solve than the problem of money, and that is why I'm here. And I hope that this show and all of the stuff that we explore has actually made that clear, that you know, teaches the economics and the history of money that leads Bitcoin to be a solution to that problem. Uh, but be careful. Because as Bitstein says, everyone is a scammer. Um, that's why don't trust, verify. That's why kill your heroes. That's why uh, not your keys, not your coins. That's why these rules are created. That's why we repeat them over and over and over again. Because they are true, and really, 2017 um, and the 
this whole crypto token explosion and bubble, which I think is only possible in a easy money market. Um, I think this is going to dry up really quickly as we go into a very deep recession, possibly depression here um, due to the consequences of our disastrous uh, global financial state. Um, and, you know, all the money printers burring as hard as they can go right now to uh, basically put out the fire by just drowning it in dollar bills, um, which isn't going to work. Um, but I think we're going to find out very quickly how frivolous and pointless everything that's left in this system that, isn't, that doesn't have a clear use um, really is. Um, so uh, take care. Uh, stack your Bitcoin with Swan Bitcoin um, and, uh, you know, hunker down. We got we're going to have a it's going to be a crazy, crazy time ahead um, and it's going to be very, very volatile. Again, Timur Azari, love the quote. Um, I'm going to I'm going to keep dropping this all the time. Uh, Bitcoin may be volatile, but it's a volatile currency for volatile times. So uh, we will close this one out here. That's quite the rant today. Um, really, really, really love this piece. A huge thank you to Vinali for letting me read this one on the show and for sharing this out. Um, and do not forget to uh, check him out and drop some applause on this on the Medium page. Uh, I will link to all of that in the show notes so you can check that out and uh, find him on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to the show, everybody. Don't forget that if you want to support this show, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com and you'll get in with the Telegram crew, the Crypto Economy crew Telegram chat, talking about all sorts of stuff. A uh, great place to ask questions too. It, it's kind of amazing. Um, uh, we've had a lot of conversations lately and there is uh, an immense amount of knowledge in that group. There are so many people who know so many different aspects of the system. I've actually been using it as a huge resource myself. Um, and I have really, really appreciated it. I'm increasingly realizing what a great idea it was to get like a group together who really focus on this stuff and also suggestions of stuff to read. Just, I don't know, it's been wonderful. So if you guys want to join and actually come hang out, I would love to expand this. Um, but uh, you can do so by becoming a Patreon uh, or a patron at patreon.com slash the crypto economy. Um, and we're also uh, having some secret discussions about a rebrand and some really, really exciting stuff coming on the horizon. So uh, I encourage you to check it out. And lastly, a huge thank you to Swan Bitcoin for sponsoring this show, for making the audible of the Bitcoin space uh, sustainable and uh, giving it a long life so that it can provide value and get as many of these out ideas out there and to teach uh, as many people as possible some of the underlying concepts and fundamental reasons why we are here. Um, that's what I'm trying to do with this show, and it is just awesome to have uh, the crew over at Swan Bitcoin uh, supporting this and you know aligned with the same mission and the same goal. They're really killing it. Got to check them out, swanbitcoin.com. With that, we are done here. Thank you so much. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And until next time, Take it easy, guys.